Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on October the 30th in the year of our Lord, 2023. We're nearing the end of this church year, and soon we'll be beginning Advent. Last week was a special Sunday reserved for Reformation. This week, our special Sunday, which we are observing, is called All Saints Day. We'll be celebrating that on November the 5th, this Sunday. And there are readings from Revelation 7, 1 John 3, and Matthew 5. The Matthew 5 reading is a number of blessed are you from Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to be taking a look today at Revelation chapter 7. During certain occasions like Reformation and All Saints Day, the Old Testament reading is replaced by a reading from the book of Revelation. This one is Revelation 7, 9 to 17. It's talking about what you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are looking forward to after our death. Now, a lot of people don't look forward to death because they either enjoy what's happening on earth or they have a lot of things they still need to do. But God takes us at a time when he is ready for it. So, John, who is writing Revelation by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins in verse 9 of chapter 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. What is significant here is there are so many people that are going to be in heaven that they are uncountable. And we can understand that because heaven the people there did not begin to be going to heaven at the time of Jesus. They actually began to be going to heaven at the time of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned, but they repented of that sin. And God made them a promise in Genesis 3.15 that through the seed of Eve, would come a savior. When Cain was born, Eve is under the impression that this is 
the Savior. Take a look at Genesis 4, verse 1. But of course, he's not the Savior. He becomes the first murderer, the murderer of Abel. But those who repented of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ have faith, and they're the ones standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, what does that mean? Before the throne, Scripture interprets Scripture, is the throne of God the Father. We find him in Daniel. He's called the Ancient of Days. And he sends Jesus to earth as the Son of Man in order to die on the cross to have our sins forgiven. Because by his dying, he pays for our sins. And that's why he's called the Lamb. Throughout the Old Testament, lambs were sacrificed, pointing forward to the Lamb that was to come. As John the Baptizer said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And where did he take them away to? He took them to the cross. And by being forsaken by the Father, he experienced hell for us. And therefore, peoples from all tribes and languages now stand before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Now, that was the dress of angels. And we also are in white robes. Well, why is that? that? That's kind of helped by the epistle from 1 John chapter 3, where it is said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that's talking about Jesus on Judgment Day, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Isn't that interesting? We shall be like him. There's an interesting moment in a television program I like watching where they have all kinds of little items of people singing or doing tricks or dancing, etc. But in this program, they had the ability to take one of the main hosts and present him singing a song and he really looked handsome. He didn't look at all like he was looking like on television as a host, where he had a beard, and he didn't seem very good looking. 
but he, as I saw it, I felt was in heaven and very good looking, just like Jesus, who was there in this skit. Well, be that as it may, we will be like Jesus. And we will be crying out, verse 10, with a loud voice, salvation belongs to, now, how do you think that sentence would end? You would think it would end, salvation belongs to us who are at the throne and in front of the Lamb. But it doesn't say that. It says, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a strong law and gospel emphasis. Under the law, and we are living under the law, we like to think that we are saved by our works. Take a look at every religion. We've said this a million times. That's what they believe. But according to Christianity, no, we're saved by God alone. Salvation belongs to our God. How do you make any sense out of that? Because God didn't have to be saved. A way to look at it is the source of our salvation belongs to God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They are the source of your salvation because they are righteous. And that righteous deed that Jesus did on the cross now extends to all who believe in him as faith is given them by the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of like talking about a child that his upbringing belongs to his parents who sit by him and are around him. No child is able to feed itself when it is born. And therefore, the food it gets belongs to his parents. This is our God, who never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is always with us, both God the Father, God the Son, and of course, from Pentecost, God the Holy Spirit. Now, who else is standing around the throne? And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Now, the elders are spoken of also in the book of Revelation in chapters 4 and 5. They are representing the 12 tribes 
of Israel and the 12 apostles. Those are the elders to whom God is speaking about their being saved. And all the angels, wow, there would be an innumerable number of angels because angels are assigned to believers to protect them. Yeah, one of the best pictures ever drawn were two little children crossing a bridge with a creek flowing underneath, and the angel was protecting them from falling into the water. Yes, all the angels were there, the archangels, as well as the cherubim and the seraphim. And they all fell before the throne and worshipped God, saying, now notice their first word, Amen. Now the word Amen means I believe the promise that I'm hearing. We often, in some hymnals, have an Amen at the end of every hymn. Other hymnals, they skip the amen. I have an organist at two churches that I'm taking care of, and he always plays an amen, even though it's not in the hymnal at times, because he wants to remind us that what we have just sung is what we believe. And what do the angels and the elders and all the people say, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And then they conclude with another amen. To be blessed means to be thanked. And God gets the glory. He's the one who gives us the wisdom. And in a few weeks, we're going to have another special service for Thanksgiving, where we give God his honor and thank him for his power and his being almighty forever and ever. Then John is speaking, and he sees this in his vision. One of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And John, he knew that the answer was clear and said to one of the elders, Sir, you know. And the elder replied to him, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes 
and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, what's the tribulation? If you've been living on earth, you have been living in tribulation. It's impossible not to suffer, to feel grief, pain, sorrow, sickness, injury, because the world is the devil's. And therefore, we look forward to the new world, heaven itself, that, are, that is going to be described. But we're coming out of the great tribulation. What does it mean that we've washed our robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb? Well, the way we are saved is by a means. For example, you want to go to a movie or you want to go to a restaurant. Well, if you get there and tell them, I'm sorry, I don't have any money, they're not going to let you in because money becomes the means to see a movie or to be fed. What are the means of salvation? The means of salvation are God's word and sacraments. We believe, teach, and confess according to the scripture that there are two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And in baptism, God dresses you in the wedding garment. That's found in one of his parables, where a man comes to the wedding, but he doesn't have a garment on. And that garment is seen by God because he can read a person's heart. And if the person's heart believes in Jesus Christ, then he's wearing a wedding garment. Why? Because he is the bride. In fact, men and women, as members of the church, are the bride, and Jesus is the groom. In fact, Jesus talks about that marriage that God the Father prepares, a great marriage in heaven between the groom and the bride. So, Verse 15 of Revelation 7 describes our life in heaven. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. So, what is the temple? Well, remember the temple was destroyed first by the Babylonians, rebuilt by the Jews, remade by Herod, but then destroyed again by the Romans. That's not the temple. The new temple is the holy church of God. 
That's also described in Revelation. The foundation is none other than Jesus Christ. And the walls are the teachings of the prophets and the apostles. And we are part of that holy temple, the church. And we are sheltered with his presence. We love to serve God day and night in his temple. Verse 16. Here's where it gets exciting. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Now, when I think of hell, I think the worst thing is to be thirsty. Have you ever run a race or done some hard work and you're sweating and you're really thirsty? And boy, you are so glad when there's some fresh water, especially if there's ice in it, that you drink. It just so satisfies you. Well, in heaven, you will never be thirsty because of the feast that you will be having. And a lot of times, you're thirsty because of the hot sun that you're working in. But verse 16 says, The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't going to be a sun. But it's going to be a sun that will not be scorching hot, will not be striking you. We often, when we go and visit churches, we do so in midweek. And it's also watching the sun come up. And it's really amazing at times when there's no clouds that the sun comes up and is really large, and it's a circle of light, but you can look right at it, and it doesn't bother you because it's still early in the morning. That's the sun that does not strike you or have scorching heat. Why? Verse 17. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Now, why is that important? Because that describes the church as the sheep. We've already been described as the bride with Jesus as the groom, but now we are the sheep with Jesus as our shepherd. And he will guide us to springs of living water. Yes, water that will take care of any thirst we have so that we will not be thirsty anymore in heaven. And Jesus 
becomes our light. He becomes the light of the world. In fact, that's often the metaphor for Jesus, that the light has come into the darkness. The earth is the darkness, the realm of Satan. And we will be transferred from the realm of death, namely earth, to the realm of Jesus, namely heaven itself, with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he, in the midst of the throne as the Lamb, will also be our light to guide us to springs of living water. And then the last part of Revelation 7, verse 17. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That doesn't mean you're going to have tears. It means that they're wiped away. And in fact, that's very close to what forgiveness means. That God rescues us from our sin by wiping away our sins. And he does that by placing Jesus on the cross, dying for you in order that you might have a life in heaven that is free from thirst and hunger or scorching heat and no tear will come across your eyes for you will be in total bliss along with the angels worshiping God day and night. Whatever else happens in heaven we can look forward to it. There are some pictures in the Bible, but they all mean you will be in full bliss. No sadness, no grief, no sorrow, no death, no tear. For God has wiped them away. We tear because of circumstances that we have in the world of tribulation. But the world of tribulation will have been gone. God bless you. Or call toll free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.